This week on Jingle Jank, we explore Christmas songs performed by cartoon characters from the 1980s. Many of these characters remain popular to this day, but they are bona fide stars from the 1980s. So buckle up for a trip back in time and join us as we dive into 1980s cartoon Christmas songs. Welcome to the Jingle Jank Podcast, the show where we find the weirdest, wackiest, wildest, and whiniest Christmas music on YouTube. I'm your host, Scott. Joining me via Zoom is my co-host, Jay. Jay, good to see you. Scott, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I see that you have not gotten a Floby in the mail yet. You're definitely cruising toward your 50s with the long hair, probably some gold chains coming. Yeah, I'm settling into my Clooney ears, like Silver Fox coming on nicely. <laughs> uh, Jay and I do this show remotely each week through Zoom because he is in Southern California. I'm not going to say where. I don't want anyone doxing you, Jay. I'm in Denver, and the show can't afford the airfare each week from Southern California to Denver. Yeah, no. So this week, Jay, we are going to talk about 1980s cartoon character songs. And I have scraped the bottom of the barrel on YouTube to find what I think are, well, maybe the best example of these. So here's what we have on tap today. We've got the My Little Ponies, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Care Bears, the Smurfs, and He-Man and She-Ra. All, I wouldn't say all characters that are near and dear to my heart. Uh, my Little Pony was something my sister watched, so I definitely remember it. Care Bears, not important to me. I think if I remember right, you told me your wife really likes the Care Bears. Yeah, huge, and it's it's passed on to my daughter as well. I actually, coincidentally, this week was doing some cleaning, um, and I was trying to find. Uh, this is a, a you know a an interesting uh, um, divergence here, but uh, neighbors of ours down the street have in front of their house, and they're you know probably a younger couple in their thirties. In their little garden in front of their house, they have a bunch of like small characters that they've set up, like they're like like old action figures and stuff. And these are adults, and they set it up in their garden, like so. You walk by their house, and you can see all these little characters that they've made this little community. And there's like gnomes and GI Joes and Star Wars characters, and they're just toys that they must have collected and put it in front of their in front of their house. So I've decided that I'm going to get some like attack toys from my kids' collection, and I'm going to set up a little encampment a few yards down in their garden, like there's a, a party, like an attacking party coming in. So I'm sure our listeners will love this. So I was commandeering toys for my kids to create said party, and I actually grabbed a couple of Care Bears, like these small plastic Care Bears, and I was told in no uncertain terms that those were not to be taken out of the house. So there are two women living with me who are still very serious about Care Bears. Great example of why I live in a deed-restricted community. I'm glad you enjoy it, Jay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no such restrictions in my neighborhood. <laughs> great place to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. Yeah, exactly. And let me tell you, you can't throw a stone without hitting an RV here. <laughs> great. Cousin Eddie in full effect. <laughs> so, Jay, I've got some breaking news for you. Wait on me. We have listeners. You're kidding me. No. I shouldn't act so surprised. I know you and I both sent out our first show to friends and family who begrudgingly humored us, listened to it, gave us some feedback. Indulged us. Uh, and I also sent it out to the Christmas podcasting community, and I really appreciate the feedback. But we have an unidentified, unaccounted for listener. Mm -hmm. So, dear unidentified listener, listening through Spotify, age 28 to 34, 
no gender specified. This show is for you. Thank you. If you're listening, send us an email at jinglejankpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know who you are. That would be heartwarming. Drop us a line. We want to hear from you. This is about the fans. That's why we're here. Yeah. So riding uh, the high of our success in week one, we're going to go into week two here. Now, I did have a piece of feedback from a very special listener, Jack at the Total Christmas Podcast, who is an absolute riot, great bloke. He's from the UK. Across the pond. His feedback was that we shouldn't dump on every song that we find because over time, the pod is going to be kind of a downer. And I think he makes a fair point. Yeah, I have to agree with that too. And I think to that end, there's there's a lot of good schlock out there that deserves to be appropriately roasted. But yeah, I think what you should know too about Scott and I are we are two people who celebrate this holiday like almost 12 months a year. And uh, I mean, we we our Christmas tree is out in our house like as soon as Halloween is over. That's uh, so yeah. I think we I think we can have uh, some fun and uh, celebrating some of the hits. And this tonight, uh, you have selected a set of songs that are not only I think a bizarre and interesting celebration of Christmas, but also like celebrated characters: My Little Pony, Care Bears, He Man, um, Smurfs. Some of these are like iconic. Uh, I should say all of these are iconic pop culture figures. So I think it's an interesting mix we have today. I think as we settle into our routine and the show gets its feet underneath us, we'll have a better sense of what we're doing. So our goal here is to find the weird, the wacky, the wild, and the whiny. And we're looking for obscure Christmas music on YouTube, specifically on YouTube, because we want everyone to be able to find these and enjoy it themselves. Accessible. But by the nature of them being obscure, a lot of them are not good. Yeah. If they were good, they wouldn't be obscure. Now, that is not universal, and we will absolutely find songs that we like and are pretty good. And we're going to have an episode coming up on punk rock Christmas songs. We're going to do one on hard rock and metal songs, which should be a little interesting. So fear not, Jack. There will be positive things to say about music that we find in the future. But today is not that day. Yeah, I think, I think Jack's, Jack's advice and feedback is well taken. And uh, we appreciate our friends across the pond for keeping us on the straight and narrow. And one more piece of feedback from Dwayne at the Tinsel Tunes podcast, another podcast that's dear to me, was that maybe we should make this show a little more Christmassy by putting a music bed underneath our talking segments. And if you're hearing that right now, thank you, Dwayne. If you're not, well, I couldn't find it. But we'll definitely take that under advisement. By the way, if you're looking for what I consider to be the the standard for musical bed under a talking track, it is the Cheech and Chong Christmas song. Um, I, I have to, we'll have to put it in the show notes, but there's a very famous Cheech and Chong Christmas song, which we probably should include in one of our shows that where they, they it's a, it's a basically a spoken word. Uh, and Wasn't it Santa and his old lady? Uh, yeah, they tell the story. Oh, geez, I can't believe I'm forgetting this, but that's the gold standard. I have a suggestion for us that we not feature anything that's uh, more enjoyable to listen to than you and I talking. That's a good point. Yeah. And I, I just want to be on the record. Parents, that is not that Cheech and Chong song is going to bear reference to a few things that are not necessarily, uh, um, um, G rated. Yeah. It was a different time. It wouldn't fly today. Yeah, late 70s, early 80s, where it was, a, it was a different time. 
So thank you, everybody, for your feedback and your support. We look forward to hearing from you again. If you have suggestions or recommendations for the show or you just want to tell us that we suck, that's fine. I'd love to hear from you. Keep the energy coming. So today, Jay, I would like to allow the co-host to pick the order of the songs with one caveat. The My Little Pony song is actually from 2015, even though the My Little Ponies are from the 80s. So let's move that one toward the end so we don't start off on a, on a weird technicality. So of the other four, which would you like to start with? I think we've got to break the ice with the, with the Smurfs. Okay, this is Smurfing Bells by the Smurfs. All right, well, that's enough of that one. First impressions, Jay. I had forgotten what Smurf sounded like before this. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to take listener feedback into consideration on this one, but I had forgotten what Smurfs sounded like before I heard this song. And it's kind of like, it, it kind of, um, you know, it hits you a little bit at the start. Like, yeah, like these things are, um, they're, they're, you know, they have a, a unique sound to them. But, you know, it brings you back to the your, the cartoon, you know, Gargamel, the whole crew. So that was my first reaction. And then, you know, I have to say the prediction that I had was they, they, they replace lots of words with the word Smurf, which I think happens throughout this song and in, 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 in a big way. And is also going to be a theme in some of these, I think some of the music we're going to listen to today. <laughs> do you remember the South Park episode where they became a Christian music band? Yes. And they said that all you have to do to write a Christian song is to take the word baby and replace it with Jesus. Yes. That's how you make Smurf music, evidently. Yeah, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's it's, all, it's how you make a few of these songs. On your note about the sound of the voices, now I do my research for this show usually about eleven o'clock at night. Everyone's in bed. I go into the guest room. I I'm in the basement of YouTube looking for this interesting stuff, and it could just be that I was tired or a little slap happy. But did you notice they sound exactly like Alvin and the Chipmunks? I would describe this as like, if I were going to make, if somebody said, we need you to record a song making fun of a Christmas song, possibly made by the Smurfs. This is what it would sound like. Those are the voices I would have used. Like it sounded like if Saturday Night Live did a Smurfs Christmas song and they weren't able to like actually use the licensed Smurf voices. Like this is, (laughs) it sounded like they sounded like knockoff Smurfs. (laughs) It's a caricature of a, of a parody. Yeah, it did, but it was, you know, it's the genuine article, so I guess it's that it can't be the case, right? So a couple notes on this particular song. It is from the 1983 album Merry Christmas with the Smurfs. Now, you can buy the CD on Amazon for $99.99 from a third-party seller, or you can listen to it on Apple Music, which is what I did. Wait, back back that up a second there. You can buy the you can buy it for how much? 99.99. I think what we have here is an opportunistic seller. 
as is possible, like an out of print or out of, out of circulation CD and somebody trying to capitalize on that rarity? Probably. I don't think they're aware it's available on Apple Music. Otherwise, they don't think they have the embargo on the supply. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, they say, what they what do they say about a fool and their money, right? I'm sure there's a buyer out there somewhere. Well, if you've got one Smurf, Merry Christmas with the Smurfs album sitting in your collection, you got to wait for the right buyer. Yeah. You know, I just want to, I feel like our audience needs to know that in full disclosure, this is coming from a guy who, who recently uh, went to eBay to acquire a Care Bears Christmas album, but uh, spoiler alert, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. So a little background on the Smurfs. Uh, the Smurfs cartoon ran from 1981 to 1989. That was nine seasons with 256 episodes. That shocked me. I did not think it was that many. 256? Yeah, they just churned those things out. God. And that was like back in the day of like, that had to be, that was like hand animation too, right? I'm assuming, yeah. 1983, I remember watching this. So I was seven years old in 1983. Our math-savvy users can backtrack our ages that way. The only thing I really remember about enjoying the Smurfs were these little plastic figurines that you could buy in the store. We didn't have Walmart back then. I'm from the Northeast. We had a really crummy store called Caldor. And you could buy these little two-inch plastic rubbery collectible Smurfs. And if I was good every once in a while, my parents would take me there and buy me one. And I really liked them. I don't know why. It might have been that this show was was gender neutral, so I enjoyed it and my little sister enjoyed it. So I think we could play with the toys together, and that was pretty fun. Yeah, you know what? You're just you're you're bringing me back. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I had several of those things, and I love them. And I have no idea in hi- hindsight what my inter- like why, but I, I remember those little two inch. Um, those little two inch Smurfs. Uh, I'm going, I'm going to the Google machine as we speak, but yeah, that's a def, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. It's a little bit of a sidebar, but I think about some of the toys that I used to have like that. And I obviously don't have them anymore. I don't know where they are, but if I was omniscient, I'd like to know where are they right now? Are they in the bottom of a landfill? Is it in somebody's house? This is very toy story philosophizing here. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, and this is not, uh, midlife bring, brings these thoughts on for sure. My parents just sold uh, and moved from a house, not the house I grew up in, but they were still carrying uh, along some, some pockets of my belongings. And every now and then I'll get a picture of like a box of random crap and they'll be like, do you want this garbage? And it's like, maybe 10 years ago, I would have said, throw that out. Now I'm like, send it all, send it, I'll pay for the shipping. <laughs> Your parents are more generous than mine. When my parents moved from Florida, I got a call that said, you better pick up your crap or it's going in the dumpster. Like you, I'm, I'm now saddened that I didn't spend more time. I, uh, word to the wise, anybody who doesn't have kids yet, this, this kind of nostalgia from your childhood is going to become important to you again, especially if you're in your 20s and you're very cynical yeah. and you think that you'll never want to see it again. Trust me. You're wrong. You're going to want to see this again and you will spend a crazy amount of money to relive some bizarre memory from your childhood. Yes. yes. <laughs> the thing with the Smurfs is I don't get a lot of Christmas feels from the Smurfs themselves. And I think that's fine. That wasn't it, it wasn't a Christmas themed cartoon, of course. But nothing about the Smurfs makes me nostalgic for Christmas. How about you? I, I think this is a point to introduce an important theme for this show, which is 
we have to, in order to celebrate this music and this particular set of songs that we have here today, for the most part, there are, there are several instances, I should say, where you have to allow yourself to believe that Christmas also happens in the universe where these shows theoretically take place. Okay. <laughs> and that is like, when you do that, when you stop, first of all, like if you just do it, you can just say, okay, I'm just going to say that's the way it is. And then it allows me to listen to this song and it's believable. But if you actually stop and think about that for a minute, that Christmas takes place in all these places, it's very, it's mind blowing when you think about it. But that's, I think that's what you have to have. That's what you have to do um, in order to understand why would the Smurfs be singing about Christmas? You yeah. know, it, it's a leap. We try not to get into religion on the show. There are a lot of listeners out there that have very strong beliefs and we fully support that. I think that's great. There are other listeners who that's not important to them and they, they just enjoy the season. We cater to all types. But yeah, to your point, all of these places celebrate Christmas, which implies a belief in Christianity. Very interesting, but let's just leave that one to the side. That's not important for the purposes of today. Now, there was a 1996 album in the UK called Smurf's Christmas Party that reached number eight on the charts in November of 1996. This is not that album. When I was researching for the show, that was the album I originally found the tracks from, and it wasn't until I dug deeper and found a 1983 album that I felt fit more of what we're trying to accomplish today. What's fascinating is that there were six top 30 Smurf albums in the United Kingdom. And that blows my mind. Yeah, that there was one blows my mind. So the Brits love the Smurfs. And we're going to have to reach out to friend of the show, Jack Ford from the Total Christmas Podcast, and ask him about what it is about the UK and the Smurfs. Yeah, I'll have to. My my sister-in-law and my niece and nephew and family have lived in uh, Scotland for more than 20 years. So I'll have to, the next time we FaceTime with them, which is frequently, I'll have to ask what's, what's up with the Smurf thing and see what I can get back to the, to, uh, to report on. The last note on the Smurfs Christmas Party UK album, if you look at it on Amazon, it has 4.7 stars out of 5 on a base of 27 reviews. That is a strong endorsement for that album. Yeah, that 27 people went out of their way to stop and write about it, I think is astonishing too. But then again, we're, we've included, so maybe that, that's not a nice thing to say. I should take that URL, pump it into fakespot.com and see if those reviews are fraudulent. I don't know. Uh, good point. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I don't th- I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think there are a lot of people trying to artificially inflate the value of the Smurfs Christmas album. You don't know that, though. I don't. Anything else you want to say about the Smurfs or Smurfing Bells? No, I think we Smurfed the Smurf out of it. Pretty, pretty Smurf. <laughs> Smurftastic. All yeah. right. What, so- what song would you like next? Oh, you know, I think from here we got to go. We got to go to Eternia. All right. Song number two today, the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas song. This is a shorter one, so I can play it in its entirety. Although I'm, I'm not terribly concerned about the ghost of copyright lawyers future coming to visit us tonight on this one. I don't think a lot of people are worried about us violating a copyright on a 1985 Christmas song by He-Man and She-Ra. Do you? Yeah, they are redoing a TV show. My man, Kevin Smith, is the one that's uh, directing it, by the way. And I think we we do have to tell our listeners that if you have the opportunity to to get in front of a device at some point, it's really worth your time to actually watch the the corresponding 
uh, video. And I think you can see the whole episode of the show that this Christmas song aired on is, is, I don't know, it's available on YouTube. Let's just say that. I don't know if it's you know, properly available on YouTube or how that works, but YouTube's pretty much on top of that. Doubtful. <laughs> right. Okay, so here is, this is less than one minute long, but in its entirety is the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas song. Here we go. Just the right setting for my new Christmas song. Let's try it. Love and caring, peaceful bliss, joys of sharing, happiness. Christmas spirits in the air, eternity and everywhere. Don't you feel it? Feel that you're a part. Christmas season is a time All right, so that's the clip in its entirety. I didn't watch the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas episode to see what the context of this song was, but I do know that is not He-Man and She-Ra singing. So if you were wondering that, no. It, it's two kids. I don't know who the kids are. Perhaps they're little He-Man and She-Ra. I have no idea. But Jay, first impressions. Yeah, so first impressions. This is the one that, this is the, the song that made me question whether or not Christmas was celebrated in other parts of the universe too, and how it was that it, it spread all its way all the way to Eternia. And that kind of like was a mind blowing revelation that this was, was happening and that these alien people were singing about Christmas. Uh, it also made me think that, um, you know, perhaps to your point before, again, not, not a religious commentary that, you know, is this, you know, it seems weird that, you know, God would fit into the the universe of He-Man and She-Ra, but at any rate. (laughs) Yeah, it would bring into question some of the tenets from the Bible uh, to consider the powers of He-Man and Skeletor. Yeah, it conflicted with some of the things I'd learned. (laughs) Earlier, Jack said, you guys should try to be positive about the songs that you cover. Can't do it for this one, Jack. This is awful. Yeah, I think, you know, this is like, I I don't understand why you needed to work Christmas into this story. I remember watching the He-Man cartoon as a kid. And like, uh, like I said, you know, I think they're, they're redoing a TV show, but I don't know if it's going to be live action or or what the deal is there that that's going to be coming out soon. So yeah, definitely a cool, you know, cool show, cool universe. But you know, this was at a time when like, I think people just felt compelled to inject Christmas into everything in the most, you know, campiest way possible. This is a perfect example of that. I went to Sunday school growing up and I don't remember seeing this and then going (laughs) to Sunday school the next week and saying, well, what about Eternia? Yeah. And and have the teacher say, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think there's, there's, uh, I'm, you know, in in full disclosure, I I believe, you know, there's the season and I think, you know, people celebrate and it's obviously, I, I think the commercial, aspect of it is, is fun to celebrate too. I think this is what that falls in. And I, I think it sounds like they tried to do a more serious Christmas song than maybe they, they, they should have bitten off here for the, for the cast of He-Man and She-Ra. I would have left it alone, but it was a different time. Yeah. I love the show though. I mean, I tell you another nostalgia, you know, great nostalgia. So when I said my mom threw out all my stuff, that's not exactly true. She did save action figures for me. Because she was smarter than I was. Okay. I do have some of my original He-Man action figures. The problem with them, they came in two parts and they swiveled at the waist. Yeah. And that was that was hot stuff at the time. And you can go find commercials of them. Yeah. You'd wind it up and then you'd 
let it go and it would knock over Skeletor, that kind of thing. But that action was controlled by a rubber band on the inside. And now that these toys are 30 years old, I don't move that rubber band at all for fear. That Dry thing rot. Is, yeah, it, one, one twist and that thing is absolutely destroyed. So I don't play with them. Yeah, that that range of motion on, on an action figure was a big deal when we were kids. That was like a high high tech uh, revelation. I try to explain to my kids today, like you know, we're old enough to remember like when when new flavors of cereal still came out, and that was like a big deal. If there was like a new marshmallow in Lucky Charms, it was like newsworthy. You know, they don't know what it's like. The He-Man toys. Looking back on it, what a cash grab. Yeah. So you had um, you had He-Man that that action figure. Yes. You had. What was the name of the prince? I don't know. I don't remember the name of it. I, I remember Skeletor. Yeah, it wasn't Prince Albert. That's that's what keeps coming to mind, and I know that's not the case. And I I'm sure there's a listener right now screaming at us. I feel like it began with a V. He Man's true identity was Prince Adam of Eternia, son of King Randor and Queen Marlena, an Earthling who ruled the kingdom of Eternia on the planet of the same name. Well, then that answers the whole Christmas question. If they're Earthlings, yeah. they brought it with them. Case closed. Call Unsolved Mysteries. Tell them to stop the production of that episode. We figured it out. Yeah, my mind is blown. Continuity solved. <laughs> Continue, He Man. <laughs> Felice Navidad, my friends. <laughs> In doing research for this episode, there were some really angry people. Wait, what? <laughs> angry why? Because they said it was just a commercial to sell toys. Well, that was all cartoons in the 80s, wasn't it? A fair point. But, and I think what this person is not realizing, and I'm going to make an assumption here, that this person is not actually in their 40s. I think it's a young person looking at it with young person's eyes saying, how could you be so into that? It was just blatant commercialism. We didn't have the internet back then, guys. Yeah. We, we wanted to watch cartoons, and we wanted to play with the toys of the cartoons we were watching. We were seeking this out. This was normal. So you might bemoan the fact that this is commercialism at its finest. I would argue that in some cases, that was actually the point. Yeah, and you know what? I don't mind being marketed to. <laughs> Especially not when it's targeted like this. They knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this... This He-Man and She-Ra Christmas song was from a broadcast in 1985 that was later re-released on VHS and DVD in 2005. Hmm. I found that very surprising. Yeah, still the audience, man. I mean, there's enough there's enough there today to support a, a network TV show uh, on the, in this universe, which on the one hand, everything is getting rebooted or has been rebooted. I know it's not a hot take, so saying that He-Man's got an audience isn't exactly you know breaking new ground, but people are out there, man. My assumption on reboots is that somebody in China found a warehouse full of 30-year-old toys and said, well, we could sell these. So then they just go, they go reboot the franchise as a way to sell these. Now, probably not actually the case. <laughs> yeah, it's the long con. Uh, in this Christmas special, Orko accidentally travels to Earth at Christmas time, where he encounters two children and brings them back to Eternia. Okay, another continuity problem solved. Yeah, we know who the kids are. Orko, famously the, um, I don't know what he was. He was a, a flying thing that we're wearing a red dress and a, and a wizard hat, if I remember right. He then savagely beheaded both children. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was in the original cut. <laughs> this special is a whopping 51 minutes long. Woo! That's like three episodes of a, a, a normal He-Man right there. Yeah, we joke today that we have no attention span thanks to the internet. I can guarantee I didn't have a 51-minute attention span when I was a kid. 
Yeah, you, you we, well, I don't know, though. We also had nothing else to do, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's fair. Do you want to watch a 51-minute He-Man episode, or do you want to play outside? He-Man it is. <laughs> exactly. So the cartoon series He-Man and the Masters of the Universe started in 1983 and ran for 130 episodes. Wow. Good run. Yeah, so I have some reviews on this. A reviewer on DVD Talk called this, quote, biblically awful, end quote. <laughs> biblically awful. <laughs> <laughs> and he said the best sound setting for this special is mute. <laughs> it scored a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not bad. Yeah. I also noticed that the higher the rating they gave it, the more spelling and grammar errors were present in the review. So correlation is not necessarily causation, but I think, I think there's something to this. Yeah, duly noted. Anything else you want to say about the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas song? You know, this was not a great Christmas song, I think, if we're being objective. Uh, but it was uh, it definitely the universe checks out, which is I'm glad to know that. And it, it brought me back to the 80s cartoon era. So I was glad for that, too. Yeah. And as we're still getting better with this show, I keep forgetting to mention that all the YouTube links for all of the songs that we do are available on the website. Go to jinglejank.com and you can see these. The video that's in the link was obviously dubbed from a VHS tape. Yeah. Which I, I think endeared it to me a little more. You don't want crystal clear copies. It's it's almost like your fuzzy memory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's aided by the VCR lines. All right, I'm going to suggest the next song. Do it. Let's do We Wish You a Turtle's Christmas. Oh, I'm so glad you picked this one. All right. We Wish You a Turtle's Christmas by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Here we go. All right, Jay, I'm going to take the first pass at this one because the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles hit me in the feels right away. Yeah. Brings me back to, according to my notes here, I was 11 years old when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon appeared. This song is not from the 80s. This was from a 1994 direct-to-video special called We Wish You a Turtle Christmas. And it's pretty bad. This is a 25-minute live-action special featuring eight Christmas songs. So one of the singier Christmas episodes that we've covered so far. What are your thoughts? So I think um, kind of feels like they, they tore a page out of the Smurfs playbook here and just used turtle in place of a lot of words here to make this a turtle Christmas. Yeah. 44-year-old me does not enjoy this, but I guarantee you that 11-year-old me loved it. Yeah, I think so. You know, well, it's worth noting. So this, this, I think, and I think you said this, this originally aired in 1994, which for our listeners is also the same year that Scott and I graduated from high school. Um, and I think, you know, again, on a, on a positive note, this is, this is a, and this is another song this week that you definitely want to watch the video if you can, just to get a taste for what Scott said about how this live action thing looked. And in 1994, a live action cartoon, 
we'll say crossover comic cartoon had not reached the level of, you know, Avengers Endgame that we have today. So you have a very different kind of special effects that there's a certain endearing quality to it. And you got to give these guys credit for trying that. Then it is very campy and hokey and almost kind of like acid trip bad. If you look at it through today's lens, but you know, it hit me in the feels too. I mean, this has got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has its roots in, in comic, you know, lore. So there's a, a just a rabid uh, fan base for this, uh, but definitely a weird video experience to watch this one. This was my first memory of a scheduled cartoon afternoon event for me in 1987 when this cartoon started. It was a cultural phenomenon, well, at least see. for young boys. I don't want to be sexist. I'm sure there are plenty of, of women out there that enjoyed it too, but it was primarily marketed toward boys. The kind of the, the kind of kid who made a sword out of any piece of wood. Right. Now all of a sudden you have four turtles with weapons. Like this was this was hot stuff. Yeah, I think this was one, you know, the, the, what <clears throat> what worked really well about this show and this universe is that these the protagonists appeal very much to what you just said, to normal, although they are mutant ninja turtles, they are very relatable teenage, sort of young, adolescent, uh, whatever you want to, I don't know what the right, they, they hit that 18 to 20, 35 <laughs> uh, kind of age group appeals really, really well. Yeah, but it kind of felt like it was written by older people who were making assumptions about how teenagers acted at the time. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was definitely, there was definitely like, it was over, like almost overdone a little bit, overtuned. If you thought the video from the He-Man and She-Ra link was of poor quality, this one looks like it's a VHS tape dubbed from another VHS tape. It's, it's really poor quality. Uh, Interesting note that I found while doing research for this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was released in 1984. Now, I don't know if that was in print comics. Maybe you know. Yeah, the comic, I think, uh, I'm looking at it right now. That's the TV that was that debuted in 84. So, nope. uh, fam- TV is from uh, 87, comic. according to this. Is it? Yep. Something something debuted in 1984. You know, it is the comic. I'm sorry, you're correct. It is the, so it was, and it was too, this, you know, another interesting thing uh, for, for the comic geeks out there too. So Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, the creators of um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and these these are folks who have like legendary status and in, in the neckbeard community. Um, but Mirage Studios, I think, was the original, um, if I'm understanding, it was not, it was an independent publisher and uh, for the comic book at a time that Marvel and DC pretty much dominated everything. So this is one of the first really successful independent comics that became something, you know, that you would call a lot of like triple A status. Um, some of our listeners might check me on that, but I, I think there's some significance to that too. Yeah. And I would imagine those uh, original creators right now are filthy rich. Yeah, they merchandise the hell out of this too. I mean, that's another. I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is like a. Fa- I mean, you could there. There probably is. There should be a college course on this on this uh, this universe because it really began. Its roots are in independent comics, and it became you know just a massive marketing machine. I mean, and that was again around the time you know, those late eighties, mid nineties, I mean, this stuff was just everywhere. So they really did. I don't know how much of that they collected. It's worth taking a look at. Uh, but definitely there's a lot of money associated with this franchise. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't know how much either, but I'm assuming we're talking solid gold toilets and rolls of twenties next to it. Yeah. Yeah. So the story loosely is that the Ninja Turtles are trying to find a Christmas gift for their master splinter. Who is a rat, by the way. Yeah, Splinter the Rat. Yep. It was just like a six-foot-tall talking rat. 
Was he that tall? Uh, maybe he wasn't six foot tall. Yeah, in the live act, he was a very he was a human sized talking rat. Let's put it that way. He may have been five foot. <laughs> okay. So I didn't bring a clip of it, but we do have the Twelve Days of Christmas as sung by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I have the twelve items for you. Are you ready? Yes, please. So we have twelve April O'Neil autographs, eleven pairs of sneakers, ten yellow yo-yos, nine narrow neckties eight chopsticks, seven silk kimonos, six frisbees, five video games, four manhole covers, three skateboards, two comic books, and a pizza with pepperoni. Nice. I feel like the writer's room came up with that one at the 11th hour. Hey, what do what are teenagers like? I don't know, narrow neckties? Yeah, yeah. And yo-yos? I kind of think yo-yos were out by the late 80s. But Yes, proving my point that the writers were slightly out of touch with the, the modern teenager at the time. Yeah, yeah. This got a whopping 1.9 out of 10 rating on IMDb. The Christmas specials wiki, which I didn't know was a thing, but now I do, said, We wish you a turtle Christmas is notoriously known for being of poor production quality and having a barren, nonsensical story. End quote. Believe it. One blog reviewer said it scored 13% on Rotten Rotten Tomatoes, but I couldn't confirm that. I didn't find it on Rotten Tomatoes. So even if they made a guess, it's probably a pretty accurate forecast. (laughs) Okay. Anything else about the Ninja Turtles? No, I think we can leave our four friends behind. Good, good, good tune. Uh, Not not a great song, but absolutely brought back uh, the feelings from, from when I was young. Yeah. You have to, the Ninja Turtles have achieved... Uh, uh, a status in pop culture that is high enough that you you take whatever schlock they throw at you, I think. All right. Our next song. This one is the poorest production quality. And I have to set this up before everybody hears the terrible audio quality here. This is the 10 Bears of Christmas by the Care Bears. This is from the 1983 album The Care Bears Christmas, which was only released on vinyl. So finding any snippets, much less full tracks, of this were very hard to find. The best I found, and it's in the link in the show notes, was one of the most absurd things I have ever seen on YouTube. (laughs) It was a recording of a record player spinning the vinyl in a little alcove in a room with a Care Bears toy and a lighted Christmas candle for some reason. So, listeners... The quality on this is terrible. No, no, we're into the dregs. But I think it's it's worth listening to, and we might have an update on uh, on some future prospects for this album in a minute. So let's get to the clip. This is the Ten Bears of Christmas by the Care Bears. First impressions, Jay? My first impression is that, and I want to I want to clarify this for our audience, this that full disclosure, these comments are coming from somebody 
who recently acquired a near mint copy of said rare Care Bears Christmas album off of eBay uh, and will soon be in possession of said album. So have, knowing that, uh, my first impression was is that uh, I think this is fantastic. This is absolute gold, I think, in terms of what we were looking for. This song nails the theme. Uh, Care Bears are a very special, uh, a very special uh, uh, um, universe in my house, both for my wife and my daughter. So this one, I, I loved it. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. And I can't wait for my new album to get here. So you can be able to listen to this as frequently as you want. You can borrow it whenever you'd like. I think we have a duty as digital Christmas historians to digitize this album and make it available to the widest audience possible. Yes, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And, and know that efforts will be underway post haste and forthwith. Uh, I, I, eBay tells me I should receive my vinyl by uh, August or, or it, within the next week, we'll say. Okay. Well, might have to make a special addendum to this episode later. Now, digitizing it, of course, will be a blatant violation of copyright law, but I just think it's our, it's our duty. It's our responsibility. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And if, if that's wrong, I don't want to be right. There are other Care Bears Christmas albums online. And yes. They're from the, the last few years. Much better quality, of course, but it's lost something. There is something about seeing this worn corners of the album cover. And the, the terrible video on YouTube actually gives it a little bit of charm, yes. even though I did my absolute best to improve the audio quality. I'm pretty good in Adobe Audition, but there, there wasn't much I could do with this one. Yeah, I think in fairness to, to you, I think that um, you, it was very difficult to understand what these guys were saying, period. I think even through the best audio, it was so there's the, the voices of the Care Bears are so, um, I don't know, Care Bearish in nature that it, it is difficult to determine what it is they were saying. So I, I really couldn't understand most of the song. Um, but I feel like it still left me feeling like this is something I have to own and have available to me at any time. So it, it left an impact. I did hear him say on the second day of Christmas, the cheer bear. And it reminded me that each of the bears had their own particular mood. And it was as represented, Niche. it was as represented by the picture or the iconography on their belly. Now I was not a Care Bears fan, of course. Uh, I think that's pretty obvious. I was into the GI Joes, the Transformers and the He-Man, but my parents had a policy of equal time growing up. So my sister got to watch her shows as much as I got to watch my shows and beating, beating the dead horse of there was nothing else to do. And kids, kids today think we're exaggerating. There really was nothing else to do. There was no internet. 1983, we would have had an Atari uh, 2600. Right. So I sat and watched the Care Bears with her. Now, it wasn't my favorite, and I'm sure my attention was on my G.I. Joes, my Legos, my Transformers, my He-Man, and probably some epic battle. But you still take it in, not only through cultural osmosis, but just hearing it. Um, so I, I still remember the Care Bears. Yeah, and we're also the last generation of children that nobody cared about. So there wasn't content overload where there was so much being served to kids our age. So if there was a show on TV that was aimed towards kids, even if it were you know was girls, you know, it was directed or, or gender neutral or whatever, you watched it, right? You, you watched whatever it was that was you know geared towards you. So it's not like it is today where there's you know the you know the, the networks and stuff that hadn't quite developed. So I know I'm sounding like an old <clears throat> an old man, but you, that's why you watch stuff like this. You're aware of it. I didn't have a sister, and I, I'm aware of Care Bears. So I mean, that's how it got in your head. 
And I think we pay a lot of attention now to making sure that we don't gender appropriate yeah. toys. You know, Legos should be for girls or boys. But back in the day, these were highly targeted towards specific genders. And Care yes. Bear was very much targeted toward girls as much as G.I. Joe was targeted toward boys. Right. We've since learned that that's not a real positive thing to do. And I think that's great that we've learned that. But you and I are of a generation where it's still a strong memory. Yeah, exactly. It was learned behavior. Um, I don't have very much on this because this is really hard to find. When, when you only find three videos on YouTube of something, but this was literally a video of a record player spinning and the sound was coming out of the built-in speaker on the record player. Now, one video was side A and one video was side B, and I honestly don't remember what the third video was, but that's all I could find. This was only released on vinyl in 1983. All right, so we have one more song today, and I saved this one for last because, unfortunately, this is from September 2015, which doesn't fit very well into our theme today, but it's by My Little Pony. Now, My Little Pony was another cultural phenomenon in the early 80s. So even though this didn't come out until 2015, I still wanted to include it today because I didn't find an example that was actually created in the 80s. And I think there's plenty to dig into with My Little Pony. So, Jay, are you ready for the last track of the day? Oh, the bronies. Bring it on. <laughs> Copyright lawyers, get ready. This is probably the only one I would actually worry about playing too long a clip of. <laughs> Fair use. Fair use, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pony kind of All right, Jay, why don't you go first on this one? Well, I have to tell you, I think of all of the music we've had today, this is definitely the highest production quality. Uh, had a very... This is a banger. Yeah, definitely a Broadway vibe to it. You got to know coming into this with the My Little Pony universe, you're going to have an ensemble cast in this song singing to you. So you're going to have a lot of people to have to get through. So I like they have the a lot of choir moments in it, and then they go into the individual solos, giving an opportunity to feature each of the ponies. Uh, so I, I absolutely, uh, absolutely loved it, Scott. If music had named flavors, this would be bubblegum. Without, without a doubt. While we were listening to that clip, I had a premonition. Okay. In 2051, your daughter might be our age and doing uh, whatever they call podcasts in 2051, holocasts, I don't know, of this song because it came out in 2015. Yeah, hover hovercasts. <laughs> hovercasts, yeah. <laughs> um, so this album wasn't recorded until 2015. You can tell it has modern Disney Channel-esque production quality. It's, it's excellent. Now, again, this is not my type of music, but you cannot deny 
the quality that was put into this. Yeah, this is, you know, and, and owed in large part to a massive resurgence in popularity in this universe. So I think, you know, each of the, um, with the exception of Care Bears, obviously, because there's just no merch out there as you, as you were able to find. But, um, you know, th- these universes have all been either have enjoyed sustained popularity or they've had great resurgences in the last, you know, 10 years. And this is a, you know, a perfect example of it. And we, you know, we, we can't talk about My Little Pony in, in, in the year 2020 and not acknowledge that the, the brony culture, which is, you know, you can, you can, you know, kill an afternoon going down a Google rabbit hole on your own there. But essentially, you know, young, young folks who, who are, well, let's, folks let's stop me. right there, Jay. If you want to know what a brony is, why don't you put Google into incognito mode yeah. and search on <laughs> exactly. it in your own afternoon? Don't do it with kids around. It's a little creepy. Um, yeah. Although we don't, we don't shame on this show. You do whatever makes you happy. Just stay away from my kids while you're doing it. Yeah, the show has, though, it has behind it a genuine, um, like, it's very popular because it is very, there's a very positive message behind this universe. So I think it it aligns very well with Christmas, you know, and it's, it's, it's good in that regard. It's got definitely the, again, some of the highest production quality that we've heard from, uh, from many of these. And again, My Little Pony, I think when we were kids, it was like, Care Bears, Strawberry Shortcake. This was very much marketed towards girls, but I think today it's got a much more gender-neutral appeal. Yeah, so I have some backstory on My Little Pony here. They were first produced in 1981. That surprised me. I didn't realize it was that old. 81, wow. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, 150 million ponies were sold in the 1980s. Holy cow. I'm pretty sure 149 million of them were owned by my sister. Okay, all right. There weren't a lot of children in my neighborhood. So even though my sister is three years younger than me, we played a lot, especially in these formative years. And I rem- I played with My Little Ponies because I needed someone to play with. And that's yeah. what we were playing. Now, I remember my Star Wars action figures laying waste to Equestria yes. uh, at the time. Appropriately so. Yeah, yeah. But I did play with them. I don't, I don't think they were scented. The only scented toys I remember were the Strawberry Shortcake dolls. The Strawberry Shortcakes. Yeah. But I do remember... You know, playing with the stupid brushes. Interestingly, this is interesting. The toy line was revived from 1997 to 1999. That was Gen 2. Right. Then from 2003 to 2009, that was Gen 3. Then there was a fourth generation from 2010 to 2019. And I might have this wrong, but I believe it was the fourth generation that had a completely different look. Okay. Uh, much more Japanese-style animation with the larger eyes. Yeah. And the drawing was completely different. So that lost a lot to me because they didn't look like what I remembered growing up. Yeah. Now, the particular song that we heard is from the October 2016 album A Hearth's Warming Tale, and that was part of the fourth generation My Little Pony Friendship is Magic television series. Now, to your earlier point, the fourth generation is the one that generated the unexpected fan base of 13 to 35 year old white males. Yes. This, this new sincerity movement as, as I've come to learn that and trying to understand what, what, what this actually is. And that's this, you know, this positivity. Uh, and it's, I, I have no idea why this uniquely landed in that, in that age group and that demographic, but it is, it is, you know, like a pop culture anomaly, I guess. Yeah, there's a great Bob's Burgers episode making fun of this. Yes. I don't remember the name of it, but I highly recommend it. Very funny. Yeah, Equestronauts. The Equestronauts, yeah. 
Thank you. Yes. And Equestria, yes. Uh, it reminded me during the song that the name of the land of the My Little Pony is Equestria, and the one from He-Man was Eternia. Those were the E's that you were so wisely remembering. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, I think there's just, you know, and we, we talked before we recorded about the, you know, for those of us who grew up in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s, you know, it, the Seinfeld, Gen and X, you know, were, were often known as being that sort of cynical, um, sarcastic, kind of dark and brooding um, uh, generation. I think this followed that as sort of a backlash and that what I was saying, that new sincerity movement where there's you know, uh, a younger generation that followed that was looking for a more positive sort of sanitized message, kind of the opposite of that. And that's what that's been credited with largely driving the popularity of the show, which is fascinating when you think about it. Yeah, I'm not sure what objections as a parent you could have to the My Little Ponies. Right, right. So good, good quality. I mean, you got to give him that. So I'm not sure it's my, my genre, but good quality. And on the topic of reception, this particular album, A Hearth's Warming Tale, which I believe you can find on Apple Music, you can also buy it. So I went to the place where I get all my ratings, Amazon. This album has a rating of five stars on a base of 105 reviews. Mm. So extremely well received. Yes. Not a lot of haters. No. For this album. No. Rabid fan base. All right. So that's our five songs for today. Jay, which was your standout track of the day? Uh, you know, I'm going to have to give it this week. I'm going to have to go with the uh, with, with He-Man and She-Ra. That one for me, I think, you know, having the Earthling connection and bringing those universes together and celebrating Christmas the way they did, making it part of a TV special, which also hits me in a very special place in my pop culture heart. I got to give it to them. I got to give it to the, the man of uh, Castle Grayskull. That one did rise slightly in my estimation after we found out that I should have paid attention because I actually made these notes that the special was about <laughs> an earthling going to Eternia or vice versa. So that solved the continuity problem in my mind there. Um, I'm going to go with We Wish You a Turtle's Christmas because that one... That one struck me right in the feels. It brought me back to being an 11-year-old boy. Even though the, the live-action special was past my time, the, the voices sounded right, at least, even if they're not the same ones. And it took me back. And that one really made me smile in a way that I didn't even expect. It may not be believable to our listeners, but you and I don't come up with our picks beforehand. We kind of do it in the moment. So I didn't have a strong idea of which one I thought was going to be my standout. But it was obvious to me once we finished that that was the one. That one warmed my heart in a very near and dear way. So the standout track for Jay is the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas song. The standout song for Scott is We Wish You a Turtle's Christmas. Jay, anything else that you'd like to say today about 80s cartoon Christmas characters or just 80s cartoon characters in general? You know what? I can't get enough of this. I hope that we come back here and spend more time in this era and, and we, we are able to plumb the depths of 80s pop culture from more Christmas crossovers. It is some of my absolute favorite stuff that's out there. So can't wait to get back into this. Thank you for joining us today on Jingle Jank. If you have any feedback, any questions, please visit us at jinglejank.com or check out our Twitter feed at Jingle Jank Pod. If you have suggestions for a future show, we'd love to hear it. So anything else, Jay? No, that's it, man. Great as always. Feliz Navidad, everybody. Until next time. Join us again in two weeks, unless you're binging these episodes in December, in which case we'll see you in about 13 seconds. Thanks, everybody.